Welcome to Stratford Lutheran's Sermon Podcast. I am Pastor Alex, and this is a podcast that each week will deliver a new sermon message. These are taken directly from our ongoing sermon series, and you can find them in on YouTube if you would like to watch them, but these are here for your listening pleasure. And I am so thankful that you have taken this opportunity to hear this particular sermon. And as always, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me. I am on Instagram at quorum.dale.life. You can reach me at Undying Light Ministries as I host that podcast, Undying Light. And I'm a co-host of a Matter of Truth podcast. This is just a means to allow my sermons to uh, be listened to at your convenience as a listener. And again, I just want to say I am very appreciative of you taking this opportunity to listen. Now, here's this week's sermon. sermon message today will be taken from Luke, the second chapter, starting in the first verse. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quintarius was governor of Syria. And all went out to be registered, each in his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. I find it interesting as... Each week that we come together and celebrate our Messiah, how different the message can be that Christ is giving to us each week. And I thought long and hard about this particular sermon series all year. I think I've mentioned it to a few of you that I have been scouring for many months, just looking for concepts and ideas to preach. We hear the story every year of the nativity. We see that every year we come and we hear either the Gospel of Luke or we get Matthew. And those are well and good. And as we talked a few weeks ago, we really hammered on this concept of Christ being present in Christmas, that this was a real historic moment, a real event that happened in the time of man. And as I thought through this series and I kept coming to different roads to travel, I I came to this message in particular, and I was kind of at a fork in the road, if you would. On one hand, I had some really interesting concepts and ideas, and on the other, I kept being drawn back to this text here in the Gospel of Luke. 
And so I had gone back and forth and essentially wrestled with this message all week. And interestingly enough, Wednesday, pre-storm, my wife and I were, were gearing up to watch a movie. And I had at that moment in my mind a path that I was going to take for writing this sermon. And then the electricity goes out. And the storm comes through, and we did not get to watch our movie. <laughs> so that changed kind of the whole trajectory of this week. I actually sat down with my wife on Monday, and I said, Janae, I've got a lot of things i got to do in the next two weeks. I've got a lot of sermons to write. I've got a lot of things to do for the church, and I've got school, and I had all sorts of things listed. I actually even got a planner out, and I wrote down each day, this is the things that I need to accomplish. And then I find it interesting that as I do these things, God laughs and changes my plans. Because I was supposed to be writing sermons Thursday and Friday and Saturday of this week, and that didn't happen. We didn't get electricity back until halfway through Thursday and just all the chaos and turmoil from the night before, we just kind of lost track of the day. And so we ended up spending the afternoon and the evening as a family and we ended up watching that particular movie, which I'll talk about in a minute. And then Friday comes around and I had the privilege to sit down in my office and start writing my sermon and my computer decides that it needs to do updates and it needs to change this setting and, and have this changed. And it was quite an interesting afternoon. And so as I pondered this message and how I was so confident on one day I would be preaching on this topic, and then the storm comes and God changes my plans, changes my, tra my trajectory of how I was going to preach. So we ended up watching this movie. It's Kirk Cameron, Saving Christmas. I don't know if anybody has watched it, but I found it to be quite fascinating because the concepts of the movie, I think, are really relative to our lives today. And I'm not going to walk you through the whole movie, but I really wanted to walk through just a few of the aspects in this conversation that was in the movie. And that is really simply of the manger. That's the nativity scene. I'm sure if you go to any person's house that's decorated for Christmas, they've got some sort of nativity scene somewhere. We've got a few of them out here in the lobby. Uh, my wife and I, I think we have, I don't know, eight or ten of them somewhere around the house. In fact, uh, Graceland, our daughter, has one as well that she gets to play with. So that's actively moving around the house as she moves her toys. But I got to thinking about this because we sometimes get just so kind of wrapped up in ourselves in this season, and we, we lose sight of the nativity scene, of the importance of it, of the power of it. See, in our message here in Luke, we, we get this very vague picture painted, really, and what we have to do is kind of piece things through various passages, and then we have to go to Matthew and get another portion of the, of the message but we have Mary and Joseph traveling to Bethlehem to partake in this census that was 
ordered by Caesar Augustus. And so they get to Bethlehem and they go and knock on an inn, which in this time period, there wasn't hotels readily available. They didn't have Hiltons and Comfort Inns on every corner. In fact, most towns usually only had one place designated as an inn. And so it was kind of common in this period that if you were a traveler and you would come into a town and there would be no room to stay at the inn, that another family would then allow you to come and stay with them. But the text doesn't give us that. It tells us that they instead were essentially put with the animals. And so the nativity scenes are generally constructed in the fashion of a, of a barn, and they've got straw and hay and animals present. I can't even fathom the scene Christmas Eve night of what that moment was like for Mary and Joseph. I mean, our son's three months old, and, and I still remember the whole process that we went through in the hospital for him to be born. And that was with m- modern medicine and, the, and, the, uh, and all the knowledge and all the technology that we have today. And, and even still, there were moments of uncertainty. There were moments of fear. There were moments where we questioned if this is going to cause any sort of heartbreak. In this time period where Mary has Jesus, there is no doctors, there's no midwife, there's nobody there with them. In fact, it is just Mary and Joseph. See, Jesus wasn't born into a barn or born into a hospital. He wasn't born into a house where other people were at. He was born alone in a barn. And however you want to argue whether it was a barn or a stable or a cave that animals stayed in, the fact is is he was born outside of all of these things. Born amongst animals and feces and just, can you imagine the smell, the, the dirtiness? They didn't have sanitized tables and, and fresh linen cloth. They didn't have any of that. They didn't even have somebody there to take Jesus and wrap him up. Mary and Joseph had to do that. The text in verse 7 says she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. A manger, generally a feeding trough for animals. Put him where the sheep and the horses eat, the camels and the goats take their food from. And this is our Messiah, laid in a manger. See, his announcement of his birth wasn't given to kings and rulers of the world. It was given to people that would seemingly be insignificant. As we will venture into our Christmas Eve message, we will talk about a perspective of his birth from the eyes of the shepherds in the field. But if we tally through all of the points of people who have heard or were told of this birth, we basically have a very short list. We have Elizabeth and Zechariah. We have Joseph and Mary. We have these wise men. And we have the shepherds. 
And it is not really until the wise men come to see Herod that Herod even knows that there's the birth of a king. And so, as Matthew tells us, Herod sends out his troops into the surrounding communities to ensure that any newborn child, male child, was killed. This is why Jesus flees with his parents to Egypt as an infant, because that will, again, fulfill additional prophecy that he comes out of Egypt. See, everything that we get in Scripture is all meticulously lined and given to us by God. Every event, even this this census, was used to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. Everything that God has done is meticulously placed through Scripture. And so we have a very small collective group of people who know about this birth. We have these wise men, the shepherds, Joseph Mary and her cousin Elizabeth, and then Herod. Whether the troops that Herod sends into the communities know about it, that's subjective and not necessary. But see, his birth didn't come with Facebook announcements. It didn't come with newspaper articles. It wasn't flashed around the world on our televisions. No, his birth was essentially quietly done in the night, away from the eyes of the world. And in reality, this is probably one of the lowliest forms of birth that you can have. Born in a manger, or born into a barn and laid into a manger. I mean, when both of our kids were born, everybody knew within minutes that they were healthy. We had announcements going out to family members, and then after a period of time, we put it out on social media and announced the arrival of our daughter and now our son. See, Jesus had none of that. But yet everything that he was a, was a privilege to in terms of his birth and then going to Egypt and coming back and all of these things, it was all for a purpose. And as we will see in coming weeks, we will actually look at his adolescent life and how even at the age of 12, he was still fulfilling everything that God has given and promises to his prophets. His early life, this birth in Bethlehem, this time to be wrapped into a swaddle and laid into a manger, this time where the shepherds are told the wise men are traveling, all of this is prophesied for us. And so when we decorate our Christmas for Christmas every year, we, we generally put up this nativity scene. And we'll put Mary and Joseph in the mist, and, and we have baby Jesus in the middle, and we'll put some sheep and maybe a camel or two. And then sometimes we'll, we'll decide, should we put the shepherds outside the manger and then the angels with them? Should we put the wise men over on this side? Because technically, to be theologically correct, the wise men don't come for a period of time after his birth. And so we should put them maybe a little further off. But however we design our nativity scene, it always has these real elements of the lowliest birth of God. See, in this scene, we have God interrupting the timeline of man. 
See, previous to this moment, we just kind of kept going along. The Jews would continue to preach out of the Old Testament and anticipate the coming Messiah. And until this day, until this moment in time, it was always a looking forward to. God promised us, and he's been promising us for centuries, that a Messiah would come. But now in this very real moment, in a small backwards town, off of the beaten map, without people to really understand and get it, Jesus is born. God interrupts the history of man to save us. See, this birth had to happen, and it had to happen in a certain fashion. It had to be away from the prying eyes. It had to be away from the kings and the rulers of the world. Jesus had to be born in a barn, in a stable, without surrounding people. And I find, as I mentioned, this, this scene of this nativity that we put together every year, just to have such amazing elements in it. Everything kind of flows to it. Wrapped in a swaddling cloth, probably dirty. But I know that as we put our kids to bed, especially our son right now, we put him in a little sleep sack. And prior to that, he would be swaddled up to keep him safe. And that was the whole point of the swaddling cloth. That as the newborn is into, coming into the world, they are tightly bound to keep them warm and to keep them safe. And so we have this baby Jesus in a manger with Mary and Joseph. And then outside, in these very moments, we have the angels coming to the shepherds and proclaiming the birth of our Messiah. And then in this same moment, we have these wise men traveling to be in this time with Mary and Joseph. And it's argumentative whether they were there within the first few days, weeks, or even years of the life of Jesus. But we get just a very brief glimpse in Matthew. Interestingly enough, we don't even know if there was only three wise men. The text just tells us that they brought gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so it just kind of comes to mind, well, there probably was three, each bringing a separate gift. We don't know if the gifts were loaded onto camels and there was eight or ten, but it's only in Matthew's account that we actually get a very brief glimpse of this. They come from the east. They've been potentially labeled as kings from the east or magi or astronomers, people who watch the stars because they follow the star. And it leads them to Herod, who then is addressing them to come and tell me where this baby is born. And as the, the wise men move on and they meet Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus, they are then instructed in a dream to go home a different route. And that's the last time we hear of them. It's the last time we see them. 
But in this entire scene, the birth of Christ, each member plays an intricate role. Each element is given to us to reflect upon the fact that this birth wasn't announced in the moment to the world, but see what happens is as he begins his ministry in 30 years, the whole world explodes. The message of good news, the gospel, is present. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is here, and he's preaching forgiveness of sin. Because see, previous to this birth, you had to take an animal sacrifice to atone for your sin. You'd have to take it to the temple and offer it to the priest, saying, I committed this sin. Take my offering. And sadly enough, no amount of animal blood could cover our sinful nature. No amount of sacrifices that we could bring to the temple would suffice to cover our sin. In fact, it took the birth, the life, and the death of Jesus Christ to cover our sin. Without that, we have no hope. Without this time, we have nothing to look forward to and anticipate. But as I said in previous sermons, as we come into this Advent season and we get to partake in the remembrance of his birth, we get to anticipate his coming again. Because when he comes again, it's not going to be in a manger. It's not going to be hushed and quietly done at night. No, the skies are going to shatter open and every person in the world will see him. Every person will know that Christ is real. See, in, in the manger scene, we, we only have those few people that come and acknowledge the birth of Christ. Only a few people at this time actually come and worship Jesus. Really not even truly, fully knowing what was going on. Because I, as we'll get into on, on Friday night, I, I, I would venture to say that the shepherds standing in the field at night and these angels come to them and, and they're probably thinking, what in the world is going on? What is happening here? Is, is this really the Messiah that's been prophesied about? This angel tells us. And so only in this scene do we get a few people acknowledging the birth of Christ. But see, when Jesus returns, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so as I wrestled with this message this week, I just kept coming back to the birthing moment that God interrupted our lives. He inter interrupted the timetable of mankind to bring his son into the world. And interestingly enough, as we were watching this movie, they, they actually touched on something that I find to be quite fascinating. I love church history. I absolutely love church history. And so I'm going to kind of maybe take a moment and just walk us through a very interesting moment that happened in church history. One to which where we get the picture of Santa Claus from. And that comes from St. Nicholas, 
who was a bishop in the early 300s. And if we know what happened as a church in the early 300s, it was the Council of Nicaea, 325. And at this council, there were heated debates over the doctrine and life and deity of Jesus Christ. There was one proponent, his name was Arius, and he's standing there telling these bishops, Jesus Christ can't possibly be as good as God the Father. That he's some sort of lesser being, one that has been created. And the bishops tentatively listened as Arius gives his explanation. St. Nicholas kind of gets to the end of his fuse, stands up, walks over, and slaps Arius in the face. So what do the bishops do? Well, they strip Nicholas of his title and lock him in jail. Now the story goes that while Nicholas was in jail, Jesus and Mary appear to him. That's just one story that I got. But after they release him from jail, he's actually reinstated as a bishop. Because, see, while he was in jail, the council realized that Arius is wrong. That Jesus Christ wasn't created. He has always been. That is why in the Nicene Creed we read that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. He wasn't created. He wasn't made. He's always been. And that echoes John, as we talked about a few weeks ago, that Jesus was always present. He was present with God the Father during creation. He was there when the fall happened. He was there when the flood happened. He was there when the Israelites were in captivity in Egypt. He was there when they were in captivity to Babylon and every other nation that came against Israel. And then his word becomes flesh. The word made flesh. Jesus Christ taking on us to become like us, to walk with us, to live with us, to experience emotions with us. Because see, in only that time can our sins truly be atoned for. And they are only atoned through the blood of Jesus Christ. So without the birth, we can't have a death. And without the birth, we don't have salvation. Without the birth, we don't have hope of eternal life. Without the birth, we have nothing. Without Christ, as Paul says, we're people most to be pitied. But as every single letter in the New Testament it testifies to, as the early church testifies to, this happened, that Christ came into the world to preach for the forgiveness of sin. And that is the same message that we get to hold on to as we go forward today, that because of this birth, you now have forgiveness of sin. And it doesn't matter what you've done in the past today or even what you'll do tomorrow or next week. Those sins have been nailed to the cross. In fact, it says Jesus became sin. He became the curse for us. So if you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. And that is the wonderful and beautiful promise 
that this Advent season brings. Amen.